Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It is great to have you with me. Hey, before I dive into our topics for today, I want you to check out what's going on with the Great Man Podcast. We are about to make some changes. Uh, we're about to do some additions, add some personalities to it, do some very cool things. I want you to be aware of it, especially if you are a man. Check us out at greatman.tv and look for the Great Man Podcast wherever you get your podcast feeds. Now, I want to dive into three topics today. Uh, I'll leave the heaviest for last and talk about the first two from the standpoint of my own interest and passion. Let me start by saying that I am a huge advocate for alternative energies. I am not an expert. I'm not an engineer, but I have, having lived in Europe, having traveled a lot in Europe, having watched countries around the world, having some connection to American companies that are primarily about alternative energies, I believe that we can remake uh, our societies from the standpoint of energy, have more abundant energy, have unending energy, have cheaper industry, have safer industry and more, I'm sorry, energy and more environmental friendly energy. I think that is the future and I'm excited about it. But let me give some cautions and maybe uh, point us a little bit in, in, in a direction. Maybe you aren't paying a lot of attention to this. You just look forward to the next you know, trend, the next product on the market. You're not thinking about the strategy of these things. But the Biden administration is now giving huge incentives to electric cars. And I'm all for government providing incentives for industries and for products that we need in our society. It's been done for years. I liked it when Jimmy Carter was encouraging solar. I mean, I had a solar-powered calculator that I thought was a miracle, and I said, go for it. And of course, the next administration shut it down. So some of my conservative friends get nervous about me because it sounds like I'm going all leftist when I'm talking about alternative energies. But I think that we have been wedded to certain sources of energy for too long. I have dear friends who work in the coal industry. I think the days of that industry are numbered, and they should be. It's not a healthy form of uh, energy for anyone, and it employs a very small percentage of our population, and it's a very small percentage of our energy, and we can replace it over the years gently, graciously, wisely, without damaging lives or ruining companies, et cetera. Okay, I'm not going to go off on all of that. So let me let me start with, again, this Biden administration policy regarding electric cars. I am a, a very much a believer in the electric car. I think it was an idea that came quite a while ago and then was scuttled by the traditional Detroit automotive industries. And uh, now it's come back. I'm glad for Elon Musk and what he's doing with Tesla. I'm glad for the other companies that are doing electric cars. I'm glad that many of the cars that are most highly rated, highly anticipated, uh, even in 2023, are electric. Here are some things we need to deal with. We already know that we need to deal with the fact that there aren't enough charging stations in the world for a person to drive from, you know, Washington, D.C. to Sacramento, for example, that you're going to sit on the highway for a long time and you may have a hard time finding energy at all. But fundamentally, at its core, I love the idea that I can charge my car overnight in my garage, drive it around town all day. I'm not using gasoline. I'm not emit emitting toxic fumes. And I love the idea of the Tesla that has, what, two to three dozen moving parts? I love all that kind of thing. 
Here's something we need to know, and here's something the Biden administration is not facing right now. As much as the operation of an electric car is good for us in every way, and by the way, let me just pause to say I'm a big advocate of nuclear energy, which of course would provide, could provide a lot of the electricity that we need for our society, especially with electric cars. I, I think you can have safe nuclear. We're seeing it all around the world. There were some early disasters that occurred. The biggest one largely mismanaged by the Russians, uh, Chernobyl. But, uh, but at the same time, I think that we've proven that it can be done and done well. And I think we should stop our fear of nuclear energy. That aside, we're going to need more power stations. We're going to need more charging stations. And we know that that's a challenge. And again, I'm an advocate for electric cars. However, here's something that few people know and the Biden administration is not facing. And obviously, this is coming from my research. I'm not qualified to do this research on my own. But engineers will tell us, and you can look this up online, that the actual production of an electric car produces so much carbon that the electric operation of that car for the rest of its life does not compensate for the carbon emissions that come from producing the car in the first place. There's something about the way an electric car is made that in its production, as it is produced, it is leaving such a large carbon footprint that it cannot be compensated for by the operation of that car for the rest of its life. Now, there are other problems with electric cars. We know we've been hearing all kinds of criticism of the Tesla and, you know, Hollywood stars saying they couldn't get it out of the garage and couldn't get tech support. And, you know, there are problems. It's an early industry. I lay that aside. But the thing that has to be solved, I think the, I think the electric car is a great idea regardless. I just think they're going to benefit our society in many, 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 many ways. Uh, and by the way, the people I know who have electric cars say that when they charge their car overnight and then look at their bill at the end of a month, they can hardly tell any effect on their electric bill. So we're talking about a very, very low cost uh, energy. We're talking about disconnecting from tyrant nations around the world that produce petroleum. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the benefits of going with an electric car. I'm for them. But what hasn't been solved is if it's being sold on an environmental basis, which is the main basis upon which the Biden administration is getting involved, they haven't addressed the fact that the production of an electric car has such a huge carbon footprint that it is not compensated for by the driving of that car powered by electricity for the rest of that car's life. So you can't yet make an environmental case alone for electric cars. And that's the compelling reason for government to get involved at all. Otherwise, it's just messing with markets. So this has to be addressed. And by the way, it needs to be addressed by the engineers who are making these things. Again, I think there are many, many wonderful benefits to an electric car. I have a lot of friends with Teslas and other cars. I love them. I love driving in them. I love their quiet. I love their lack of stink. I love their lack of emissions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, there are problems, I'm sure, but they are beautiful and they are they are simple and they are graced and the price will be coming down. And when we get all kinds of charging stations in place and do it right. I think this is something that can really go. And then we'll come up with other technologies. Who knows? Squirrels in the engine. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But my focus right now is government. Why is the Biden administration messing around in the market and, and creating incentives? It's doing it mainly because of the environmental impact. And that is a bit of a falsehood. I'm not saying he's lying. He's believing what everybody else is believing. And that is that ultimately electric cars are helping us with our environmental crisis. Well, they're not. 
because the process of production creates a larger carbon footprint than the actual driving of it for the normal life of a car. It's got to be addressed, and the Biden administration's got to be honest about this. All right, number two, continuing on the issue of energy. It is absolutely true that we have some wonderful alternative energy sources, wind, solar, et cetera. I want to just jump in real quick. And again, I'm working with some people who work in this area and learning a lot about it. And I'm grateful, never going to be an engineer. It's not my field, never going to be able to design this stuff or sell it or produce it. That's not what I'm going to do. But I want to say that solar technology, as much as it's impressive, and I love it, is way, way, way behind wind. There are countries in the world that are already generating more than half their electricity through wind. I took off from Schiphol Airport not too long ago in Amsterdam and flew over the North Sea, and there were great vast fields in the water. I should, probably shouldn't call them fields, but but great big wind turbines sticking up from the ocean, from the sea, probably miles. I was on a plane. I couldn't measure, but probably miles in size. And this is the genius of the Dutch. They are powering most of their country with wind turbines. Um, it's happening in West Texas. Traditional family farms are becoming the sites for wind turbines. A friend of mine owns one of the companies that does this. Tremendous benefit. They do bird studies and then they get the thing in there and they, they generate wealth locally and get investors locally from the community and they put it on these farms that are going away and leaving family control and it and it brings the families back and it generates income and it does good in society. I even think they're beautiful and elegant. But wind is definitely hitting its stride, definitely produces, definitely does good for society and definitely is a useful uh, technology that we ought to continue to extend. Solar, however, as much as it's uh, something that many of us just love at an emotional, visceral level, is not there yet. Obviously, you need the sun. Obviously, batteries haven't been developed that store the energy from from this. The solar has its place. Solar can heat the water in your house. Solar can probably even heat your house. It can do some other things. It can help power parts of a car, etc. But it, the technology is just not there yet. The cells aren't up to speed. The products aren't up to speed. And of course, it, there are many, many problems with just relying on the sun. Most of it, that being weather. But wind now... The world will never lack for wind. And in fact, uh, I've heard a scientist say that some of the things we're concerned about with the environmental crisis actually will create more wind, that some of the warming, the cooling, all the things that we're talking about all the time, that there there actually increases wind uh, availability in the world. So the potential for wind is huge. Solar, not as much. Am I saying this because I'm invested in the one and not the other? No, I'm saying it because that's what the science shows and we need to be careful. We need to be pushing for wind and pushing for better research on solar. This stuff's going to be important. I believe by the time a lot of us listening to this podcast shake off this khaki coil and leave this life, that it's possible for us to have shifted our society graciously and without devastation to completely alternative forms of energy that are sustainable and beautiful and elegant and add to life. But we're not doing it now. There are some myths floating around out there, and we've got to be careful about the science. Okay, now, we were all, I am sure, saddened to see on video, as happens in our generation, the murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. It was a sad situation. Tyree had apparently, according to the cops who stopped him, been driving erratically. Even his family said, well, it's possible. (laughs) You know, he was a bit of an erratic driver. They pulled him over. 
this was a scorpion squad, as they call it, of police who pulled him over. They got the impression he was resisting, or they just showed up mad. Uh, Who knows? I'll come back to that in a minute. Tyree eventually pulled away from them and ran almost a mile away. They had to chase him. When they finally got to him, the cops were angry. This was a special squad for patrolling and combating street crime. They were tougher. They were a bit more, uh, better armed. Uh, They were a bit more equipped and trained for a street fight, so to speak. And eventually, when they caught Tyree, they beat the living tar out of him, and he died a few days later. We all know that Tyree was black. We all know the five cops who killed him were black. We all know that sheriffs and ambulances showed up on the scene, uh, did not, uh, were not even allowed, or they were discouraged from, or they just didn't engage to help him, could have probably saved his life. They didn't. The five cops have been suspended and will almost certainly go to jail. The sheriff, the ambulance, the medical services also now have been suspended and are under under investigation. And here we have in America another tragic killing of a black man in custody in a way that ought not to happen in our land. Now, I'm not going to claim to be all in the middle of this. I'm not a black man. I don't live in in the kind of neighborhoods where street crime is an issue and the cops have to respond. So I'm not going to criticize them as though I know all the facts, but here are some things I do know. I have great respect for the former police chief, Fairfax County, Virginia, a man I know, a man I respect. And what he focused on with his policemen and his detectives was culture. He didn't build a culture in which there was anger against those on the streets. He didn't build a culture in which uh, violence and macho was prized at at an undue level. He built a culture of understanding. He built a culture of firm engagement. Yes, absolutely. If somebody misbehaved, if somebody was violent, if somebody was a shooter, they could deal with it and they dealt with it well, award-winning, dealing with such situations. But what he kept his eyes on was the culture. What he kept his eyes on was the way his men and women conducted themselves, the way they thought of themselves. Did they think of themselves as big bruisers, you know, going to the gym and working out and punching bags because they wanted to punch a lot of bad guys on the streets? And did they, did they think, was there a culture being encouraged in the units of violence, of bravado, of toughness? We'll just whoop them and beat them into submission kind of thing. Also, a culture of emotional health. Now, that sounds awfully therapeutic, and some people don't like talking about that when it comes to the military and the police, but a culture of emotional health. So you don't have people walking around angry and upset. You don't have people with a vengeance in their heart. You don't have people um, who have come in because they want to smack people around and do it legally. Watching for health, watching for balance, watching for the capacity for uh, compassion standing guard against a psychopath kind of mentality amongst people. Psychopath basically meaning somebody who has no sense of uh, remorse or emotion or compassion in their soul for their deeds. And you can get that way. You can get callous that way. But I'll tell you that most police chiefs and certainly those at the lower levels and who are in command, they know the culture of their units. They know the culture of of their law enforcement people. And that's what we've got to keep our eyes on. Because what happened in Memphis, so I'm given to understand by by experts who are involved in the investigations and, and people who comment on these things all the time, is that there had been lower standards in order to allow for greater recruiting. So the people being recruited to be police, slightly lower standards because almost every police uh, law enforcement organization in the country is having a hard time recruiting. They lowered standards. They created scorpion units of a high-intensity, charged-up, very physical uh, crime-stopping units. And 
that may have been legitimate. I can't speak to, to that philosophy or that approach. But these people became incensed. These people became um, overly enmeshed. These people encouraged each other in the bravado and the physical. And they killed a young man who apparently didn't do anything except a little erratic driving. Now, I will say, and I want to say it very clearly, because I have a lot of African-American young men listening to this podcast, that once you run away from the police, you have, you have brought the world down on your head. And I have great compassion for this issue. I've actually been involved in getting a young African-American friend of mine uh, out of jail when he had done nothing but driving while black. And to be real blunt with you, I'm going to say something that's, that's going to be shocking to some of you. When I showed up and described myself as his honorary father, and I was white and middle-aged and just who I am, whatever, they didn't know my name, they didn't know who I was, but the fact that I showed up to get 15-year-old young man, I'm going to call him John, it wasn't his name, but John out of, out of, out of jail. And there he was, good-looking young kid with dreadlocks, and and uh, he hadn't done anything. He'd just been driving through a wealthy part of town, uh, quite frankly, because he was coming from a friend's house in that neighborhood. He was a wealthy, I mean, upper-middle-class kid himself, but he was picked up for simply driving while black. And what got him out that night, I'm sorry to say, is that I showed up. And I showed up with a, with a couple other guys, um, and we weren't we weren't going in there all in bravado. We were just going to get him out. We were his honorary fathers. And we were going to get him out. And all of us just happened to be white. And when the cops show that, they let him go. Now that shouldn't happen. I shouldn't happen. I understand that profiling is a natural human response. I care about those things. I care about how a young my young African American friends uh, conduct themselves uh, when they're stopped uh, by, by a cop, especially a white cop. Uh, I'm very aware that my dear African American father friends, ha- when they have the talk with their sons, it's about how to how to deal with a cop at a traffic stop. When I had the talk with my son, it was about sex. I've never had to talk to Jonathan, my son, about how to deal with a traffic stop by a cop because it's just not much of an issue in our culture. We all need to acknowledge that. So I'm calling on all of you. I've got many law enforcement officers who listen here. You know, it's, it's, I, I enjoy it. Every time I mention a gun, they call and tell me that I'm wrong about my details on a gun. So you can tell that I've stopped because I don't know my, my stuff apparently about all the, the bore and the loads and all the stuff. It's not my specialty. But I want to say that Tyree Nichols is dead is a tragedy as were the tragedy of all the other ones illegitimately shot. Some are just outlier craziness, like a, like a female cop in, in Texas getting her apartment confused with a black neighbor's cop and shooting him. That's terrible. Some are just outlier weird situations. We all know that. Some were just good, otherwise good arrests going badly. But we've watched videos of a man being choked out. We've watched videos of a man being shot while two cops were already on top of him. We've watched videos of all kinds of things, and it's time for this to stop. And what I want to say to to my friends in law enforcement is be the change agents. You know the culture of your units. You grieve what's happening. Every time uh, there's a shooting by an unrighteous shooting by a cop, I hear from the cops who are and the law enforcement officials who are part of this podcast and in my life, and they're grieving it more than anybody because it reflects badly on them and they're trying to do good in the world. They're to be commended. They're to be celebrated. But it only takes a few who overdo it. So a couple of conclusions here. My young African-American friends, do everything you can to defuse the situation. I know it's unfair, but I want you to live. I want you to live on to change the system. My law enforcement friends, be the change agents. Change the culture. Model the good. Talk to commanders. See what you can do to make a difference. 
And for heaven's sakes, let's pray that this scourge ends in our society. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular global speaker, and senior fellow for public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.